The Dave Berta Podcast is a proud member of the Alberta Podcast Network powered by ATB. Find out more about the network and other amazing Alberta-made podcasts at albertapodcastnetwork.com. I'm Dave Cornway. And I'm Ryan Hassman. And you're listening to the Dave Berta Podcast. We're recording this episode on Sunday, March 24th, 2019, and we're joined today by our guest producer, Chris Changyan Phillips. Welcome to the Dave Berta Podcast, Chris. Hi, guys. Uh, can you tell us a little bit about yourself for our listeners? Uh, sure. Um, I'm the host of another podcast in the network, Let's Find Out. It's a local history podcast. Uh, people give us questions about local history, then we find out the answers together. Um, I'm also, uh, I would say, a politics junkie. Um, I used to work at CJSR. Um, yeah, that's that's me. That's great. Well, thanks so much for joining us. Um, Adam Adam is is away for the week, so mm-hmm. we're we're very excited to have Chris with us. Um, and do to do check out his podcast. Let's find out. It's really awesome, and yeah. it's a great uh, a great uh, member and part of the uh, Alberta Podcast Network. So thanks so much, Chris. We're looking forward to uh, to hanging out with you today and doing this pod. Yeah, thanks happy to be here. Alberta's provincial election has been called, and Albertans will be going to the polls on April the sixteenth. For the duration of the campaign, we're going to be recording a new episode of the Dave Berta podcast each week. So let's jump right in. Dave, are there any races that you're watching? Yeah, I mean, uh, there's 87 races across across the province. But first, before we jump into the into the, the kind of races that I'm looking at, the races that I'm looking at this week, uh, I just thought I'd do a little candidate update to to update our listeners and to just to, to about which parties have nominated full slates, where the parties are in terms of nominated candidates. Or had full slates and then went backwards and are now yeah. going back to full slates, hopefully. Yeah, yeah. As, as, as far as I know right now, the NDP have a full slate of 87 candidates. The Alberta Party has a full slate of 87 candidates. Um, the United Conservative Party, as of, as of right now when we're recording this podcast, they have 86 candidates nominated in 87 ridings. There's this, this evening or today... There's going to be the UCP nomination race in Edmonton Mill Woods. So the UCP should have a full slate by the end of today. Uh, surprisingly, the Alberta Independence Party has 56 candidates nominated. They have the fourth most candidates nominated. Wow. Um, so that's that's that was a little surprising. Now, when um, you say nominated, you mean on the party level or actually with Elections Alberta, like on the ballot? Registered with Elections Alberta on the ballot. Now, the Alberta Independence Party wasn't a registered political party before the election. Uh, they had tried, I think they tried to collect this, the, the signatures needed. I think there's like seven or 8,000 signatures you need to collect in order to be officially recognized by Mm -hmm. elections, Alberta. Yeah. They weren't able to do that, but there's another way to get on the ballot as a party candidate. And that's if you nominate, uh, candidates in more than half of the ridings in Alberta. So that's be 44 ridings and they have 56 candidates nominated now. So they were nominated or they were registered with Elections Alberta as independent candidates until they reached the 44 mark. And now they'll be listed as Alberta Independence Party candidates on the ballot. So that's a little surprising. And I'll be interested to see how they do. I don't I mean, they have candidates on the ballot. I don't know what kind of organization they actually have or how many of these candidates will actually be running real campaigns. Like if we'll be seeing lawn signs or actual like get out the vote efforts. (laughs) Well, hey, those aren't required to win. Ask about 25 of the current caucus of the... uh governing party yeah i mean they're there i'm not well maybe maybe we'll see an alberta independence party wave in this election i I, I, i'm highly (laughs) highly skeptical about that but we'll see um the the liberal party has 51 candidates nominated and i think one of the interesting things about the the liberal party the one writing that they don't have anybody nominated in is edmonton city center which is the 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 writing that was created from the old edmonton center writing which was a liberal riding up until the 2015 election. Right. Lori Blakeman, yeah. uh, popular MLA, was the MLA for there for like 17 years, and the Liberals held it before then. So the Liberals had held Edmonton Centre since 1993, uh, and they don't have a candidate nominated there right now. That that well, tells me that there's something going on with the Liberal Party. I mean, not surprisingly, they're not incredibly strong in this election, um, but that they don't have a candidate nominated in this riding that used to be a stronghold. That uh, one was really interesting last time because that was the one where Lori Blakeman held the nomination for the Green Party yep. and the Alberta Party and the Liberal Party. Yep. And as I remember telling, saying to you at the time, and I actually just had some time this week with Jonathan Sherrick, who was the campaign manager. But mm-hmm. one of the things as an outsider to the Liberal NDP world, 
that I just still can't wrap my head around was why Lori Blakeman wouldn't have run for the NDP there. I mean, in the last election, the writing on the wall about the Liberal Party was pretty clear, and she was gathering up nominations. I can't imagine what she and the NDP disagreed on policy-wise. Mm-hmm. So it was always an interesting one, and who knows what's going on there. Do you think they're not going to run anyone in the end? I don't know. I mean, I... I, I they're not. They seem to be nominating candidates at this point. I don't think that the Liberals will run a serious campaign in Edmonton City Centre. Um, I mean, David Shepard is a popular MLA. He's out there. Um, I think that I, I would be surprised if he didn't get reelected. Um, he's the NDP incumbent. Um, but I mean, maybe the Liberals will nominate someone. It just yeah. it's, it says a lot about the Liberal campaign in Edmonton yeah. that they weren't able to mount a real campaign early on, especially there. Yeah, exactly. Uh, Moving on to, I guess, the writing that I'm watching uh, during the first week of the campaign. And I think over the course of the campaign, Ryan and I will highlight different writings that we're watching um, and different candidates that we're watching across the province. And and for me, I'm I'm looking at a writing right now that is just outside of Edmonton, just to the northeast of Edmonton. uh, And it's Fort Saskatchewan, Vakerville, Hmm. which I think will actually be an interesting race. Now, if you look at the polls, the UCP has a commanding lead in rural Alberta. And I I think Fort Saskatchewan, Vegreville, even though it's, there's a large urban component to it is probably falls in that category when you're looking at the, where the the pollsters draw the lines. And even then the urban component is Fort Saskatchewan. Yeah, it's Fort Saskatchewan. So the NDP incumbent, Jessica Littlewood uh, is running against UCP challenger who, I mean, there's a whole bunch of people running in this riding, uh, but I think her main challenger is probably Jackie Armstrong Homoniak. It's a Ukrainian name. Yeah, I think she's from Vegreville. My, apolog- Maybe she my, can send us my apologies for slaughtering your name. Um, uh, and then there's an there's a Alberta Party candidate named Marvin Olson. There's an Alberta Independence Party candidate, an Alberta Advantage Party candidate, a Freedom Conservative Party candidate. So there's a whole whole like slew of right wing kind of minor right wing parties. I think this one will be interesting because even though the UCP is leading uh, leading commandingly in rural Alberta in the polls, I think this is a riding where. Um, where there might be an incumbent advantage. And I think that's because I think Jessica Littlewood has done a lot of work on the ground. She's been to every corner. Of she's that, been, right? she's been, it's very, been very public. She's been to every corner, every corner of, of Fort Saskatchewan, Vegreville repeatedly. Um, uh, but I think this is an example of an MLA who really puts in the groundwork yeah. in terms of showing yeah. up at community events and being present. And I think that's the kind of thing that, especially in, in smaller communities and rural ridings where 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 the you know community is maybe a little different than in an urban riding. Yeah, showing up really makes a difference. Well, you know, I uh, we've all talked about the issue with the kilometers, but I will give her credit that she was nominated in a riding. She probably didn't have a super strong connection to, mm-hmm. but she has made the most of it. Yeah. You know, I I don't want to attack these paper candidates who get elected because good for them. And what I ask though is that they do something with it with the opportunity to serve, and she has. Yeah. So from the UCP perspective, I will say to you. If that one's close, we have a problem. Like that is one where it should not be an issue for the UCP. That is, if that's on a target seat list somewhere, then I'm worried. So um, it's interesting to me that you find that writing interesting because I would have said it's, you know, and let me also say through the next four weeks, we're going to make, I'm going to make a lot of sort of sweeping comments about ridings with no chance or candidates who can't win. And I want to apologize in advance because I've run in a tough riding and I've run and I know any candidate anywhere deserves respect. Even just to get those signatures to be on the Alberta elections, Alberta ballot requires respect. So mm-hmm. I don't ever mean to um, disrespect the effort that these candidates are putting forward. Even when we're talking about candidates like Olds, Disbury, Three Hills, um, you know, for the NDP or for the UCP in Edmonton, Strathcona. Or Edmonton Highlands, Norwood, where we're sitting right now. Where we are. And I saw a lot of orange. So I, I do want to put that up front. For me, the two that I'm watching are kind of a mirror image, and it's my favorite theme, Chris, which is the Alberta Party. So <laughs> I look at Elbow in Calgary, and I look at Edmonton McClung. These are very different but very interesting races, and they'll tell you a lot about um, the, the Alberta Party brand, but also incumbency advantage in Greg Clark's mm-hmm. situation, and the UCP's viability in Edmonton. And the NDP part of the story is interesting in both cases, too, because you've got... Lauren Dack. Lauren Dack, yep. Who I'm afraid I haven't seen a ton of profile from. And he might finish the incumbent MLA in Edmonton McClung, and he might finish third. You know, you've got a really strong UCP candidate, Lori Moseson, and then you've got Stephen Mandel, the party leader, running in the provincial ward that mostly overlaps with his old city council ward yeah. before he was mayor. So I'm going to be watching Edmonton McClung. 
I'm also going to be watching Calgary Album because it's an epic showdown between the UCP and a very high-profile candidate, Doug Schweitzer, and Greg Clark, who managed to get himself elected last time. Yeah. Was the party leader. We all know some of the drama around that one. But if I'm going to watch two ridings, those are probably the ones where, and I'm not picking ridings where I think we're going to win. Um, those ones are honestly toss-up for me. The Dave Berta Podcast is made possible in part by Edmonton Community Foundation. And if you haven't done so already, you need to check out the Well-Endowed Podcast, a podcast from the Foundation, hosted by Andrew Paul and Elizabeth Bonkink, and produced by Lisa Pruden. The Well-Endowed Podcast explores the impact of passionate people who are working to make Edmonton a strong, vibrant city. The Edmonton Community Foundation helps people create endowment funds, and so the podcast tells the stories of how those endowments intersect with community. The Well-Endowed Podcast comes out a couple of times a month, and in order for you to not miss a thing, what you need to do is check out thewellendowedpodcast.com and subscribe anywhere where pods are cast. That's thewellendowedpodcast.com. The Dave Berta Podcast is also made possible in part thanks to ATB Financial. And I'm going to tell you a little bit about ATB Prosper. Whether you're saving for retirement, a major purchase, your child's education, or a rainy day, ATB Prosper helps you create a personalized investment plan to assist you in reaching your financial goals. It's easy to create, manage, and follow your progress through your customized digital dashboard. You can start investing with as little as $100 and make additional contributions to your portfolio of as little as $25. To find out more about how you can get started for that rainy day or retirement savings, visit atbprosper.com. Um, Chris, what riding do you live in? Edmonton Strathcona, heart of the communist heartland. And, and who do you think is the favorite to win in Edmonton Strathcona, Chris? I have not seen anything but Rachel Notley. So I, <laughs> I'm familiar I, with I, Edmonton Strathcona. I, I think Rachel Notley got about 90% of the vote in the last election in Strathcona. And, and yeah, Ryan, you're familiar with Edmonton Strathcona. Yes. I, I actually, I have to admit, I was annoyed the last election that um, she didn't do many public events in our riding. Um, so um, so we will be watching for that. You're telling us Rachel Notley's losing her touch with the local riding. Okay, you heard it here first. <laughs> I mean, I understand why, um, especially in 2015, but I was a little shocked. Yeah, yeah. You know what? I love Edmonton Strathcona, not as an electoral viable place to run as a conservative in the provincial riding, but um, I mean, it's just such a great part of our city, yeah. and it's just so vibrant and amazing. And even now, when I drive through it, I haven't lived near there in a little while. I can remember neighborhoods. I can remember doors and just the experience of going to all those doors and meeting people was really cool. So, well, Chris, I don't think we find Edmonton Strathcona overly interesting this time. So, I'm sorry about that. <laughs> I, I I understand it's not on everybody's list. Of which which the one most are you, anticipated? One. Which one are you watching? If you had to pick one, uh, putting right. him on the spot. We told him we wouldn't make him speak, but here we are. Mm. I guess the red deer ridings maybe were interesting to me last time that both of them flipped NDP. Shocking. Yeah. If if those are, I'm going to say the same thing. Again. <laughs> if those are interesting on election day, then Houston, we have a problem. And by Houston, I mean UCP headquarters. I mean, there's no way that the red deer seats should be anything but conservative, right? I, I, I what think could go wrong? What yeah, I think wrong? that they're, they're, I mean, at this point in the game, I, I would suspect that they're both probably leaning strongly towards electing a UCP UCP MLAs, but it'll be interesting to see. I mean, Red Deer has a Red Deer actually has kind of a weird electoral history. The Conservatives win, but even in the '90s and 2000s, the Liberals would always get like 30 or 40 percent of the vote in some Liberals. of the Red Deer ridings. So yeah. there is, so it's not as as monolithically conservative as as uh, as I think the rural areas surrounding Red Deer would suggest. Okay, actually, the one I'm most interested in is probably Calgary Mountain View. Yeah, yeah, that's a good. It's an interesting one to watch. Yeah, it's quite the story. I mean, you've got a cabinet minister, you've got, yeah. we've, the UCP side has had some turnover in our candidate, and then the... <laughs> That's a gentle way to put it. Yeah, and, and, and a rough start with the new candidate. So, so let's, uh, let's just dive in and talk about Calgary Mountain View, because it's, it's uh, I mean, we could, we could talk a little bit about that. So Calgary Mountain View, currently represented, has been represented for the past probably 15 years by liberal MLA David Swan. David Swan is retiring from yes. politics. He's not running for re-election. So there's a huge scramble for uh with candidates running in calgary mountain view 
Kathleen Ganley, who is the current MLA for Calgary Buffalo, has decided to run across the river in Calgary Mountain View, which I believe she lives and she's lived for a number of years. So NDP, MLA, Justice Minister running in Calgary Mountain View. Liberal Party leader David Kahn right. is running, yep. uh, hoping to hold on to that seat for the Liberals. Um, who's running for the UCP? Uh, Kaylin Ford she was. was running for the UCP until she withdrew following uh, the release of text messages from two years ago. It, where I think they were DMs in di- Facebook. Yeah, direct messages. With someone messages. for whom she has a restraining order. Yeah. That, Not that you can... That, well, the, the problem the, with those the, four... The, the text messages were... Two of them were... Well, I mean, impossible they, to defend. Yeah, basically, it doesn't matter. I mean, she, Kaylin Ford sent out some tweets after she withdrew from the race, saying that the, you know the, the con, maybe the context was missing. Yeah. I'm not sure under what context, no. in what context, these these types of views would be appropriate. Talking about, no. you know, worried about the, you know, I think it was immigration and the homeland and Western culture was Western culture topic. and white replacement. White, yeah, basically. Well, yeah. you know what? And it okay. So there's that, and that I don't defend, and she deserves. She needed to step down. But the other comments that she made about other things were an example of an academic person not being a great fit for electoral politics. You know, she made some points about, well, this type of terrorist is seen in the media lens this way and other types of terrorists aren't seen and it's not fair. And it's like, well, that's the kind of thing maybe you can talk about like in a classroom. But it's probably not someone who we'd want like, you know. Yeah. running for political office to be talking about those views. Yeah, like, because really, you can't... Like, this isn't some high... End, I mean, right. an election isn't... Exactly. I hate to say this, but an election isn't time for, like, really high-end nuanced discussions because... Right, and your opponents are going to run a clip. It's like when you do media training and they tell you, you might have a six-minute interview, but if you go off message for three seconds, what do you think the clip's going to be? I, I will tell you that I feel a little bit upset about the Jeremy Wong thing. For one... Now, I don't... I don't know his whole history. I've never met him. So this I, is this is the replacement, the replacement. candidate. And he's so an yeah, alliance so, Chinese alliance pastor. Yeah, and there was he was appointed after Kaylin Ford. Well, he finished second. Down. He, he finished, finished second in in the yeah in the UCP yeah. nomination contest last August or last October. Because I know they had a bunch of interest in folks who wanted the nomination. Okay. But I, the party went with the second place person, okay. which I think they had done in other places as well. So, and, good on them. And he's been linked. The most recently, he's been linked to promoting an organization that either participates in or promotes conversion therapy. He had, and I realized the spidey sense here that I'm not, I'm in no way defending conversion therapy, but his statement was he had attended a conference. He does not support conversion therapy now. What I'm a little bit upset about, to be honest, is the attack on the the Ephesians 5 scripture. Because the next line, it says, you know, wives respect your husbands. And the next two lines later is husbands love your wives. The point Anyone who's attended church of any denomination knows that paragraph and knows that it isn't about wives subjecting themselves to their husbands. It's about both of them subjecting themselves to each other. And when I watch the NDP absolutely lose their mind on him and call him a raging misogynist, and I think I saw words from the official campaign like disgusting and hateful, that's not Jeremy Wong. Like, if you pull one line out of a... In, f- in fact, they link to the SoundCloud. And if you watch and listen to that sermon, so, you know, he's hardly being hateful. But again, real politics meets like academic or other lines of reasoning. I think that it shows that the NDP Warm is deeply unfamiliar with the most popular religion in Alberta because any church anywhere preaches on Ephesians 5. And the point of Ephesians 5 is not to subjugate your wife. It, no one thinks that. It's about both parties in a marriage putting the other one first. So that one got my hackles up a bit because it's not the same as what Kalen Ford said. It's not the same as what a bunch of other people said. But we're at the point now where the attack machine is just revving at maximum RPMs. And this poor guy, I don't know everything he's ever said. It may turn out that he said other things that are hard to defend, but that particular one got me a little bit upset. And when I was speaking to people like in DMs and stuff, you know, I think they may have gone too far on that one. But judging by the looks that you two are giving me, I guess I'm also not, not everybody feels how I do. Did that bother you guys? I listened to the clip on SoundCloud too. I I do think the part of it that was publicized by the NDP is 
oddly contradicted by the rest of the clip that they put out. <laughs> <laughs> That's true of the scripture. Yeah. I, you may not be familiar with it, but I, that I'm line, not. and then two lines later, like, it's not only the Christian Bible that could be taken out of context. There are other verses in the old, in the New Testament that are worse. Um, that there, one there, is about... There, there are many. <laughs> that one is about putting your spouse first, mm-hmm. dying to yourself and putting the other person first, which is so hard to do. You guys are both married. I'm married. Like, sometimes that's a daily struggle to put the other person first. Anyway. I, I guess, I, I mean, I'm in a... I'm in a gay marriage, so that that resonance of it for me, like I just sort of shrugged. I was like, "Yep, that's not the type of relationship I have." Anyway. <laughs> but so. I, I actually think, well, let's drop it. But the, <laughs> what Paul was saying there is about putting the other person first, and I think we should give Jeremy a little bit more benefit of the doubt. But obviously, we're in the middle of a writ period, and no one's getting any benefit of any doubt. And the NDP, although it may not even be them, may be their allies. I do have to say, have obviously done their research. Yeah, I'd love to see their opposition file on me, although I'm not running for anything. But like they clearly, you, you, you can drop it off in a brown envelope at my place, and I'll <laughs> hand it over to Ryan. Yeah, Duncan, if you're listening. <laughs> but the other thing is, I have done my Facebook profile scrub, and I've looked for words, and I know that I'm fine. But you know, clearly the NDP um, have done their homework, and we're ready to go on this yeah. guy who wasn't even the candidate. Yeah, no, I think that the NDP did some pretty pretty thorough research on on basically i think if you were running for a ucp nomination last year earlier this year um they did a lot of a lot of research into it um and i mean it's i guess in some ways it's appropriate that we're talking about scripture because we're uh, we're recording this on a sunday so we'll Uh, see i'm I'm sure this is not the last that we're that we'll that we'll hear um from you know controversial comments that ucp candidates have made i'm sure that the ndp have a lot more a lot more coming I, i mean i do think that I would be surprised if Mountain View were really in play for the UCP at this point anymore after this, after the Kalen Ford But which one do you think is more likely to win it? Liberals or NDP? I mean, that's a pretty epic battle. You yeah. have the liberal leader. Yeah, I think, I think, I mean, I'd put this towards a leaning NDP seat. I think, I think if, I think this is going to be a largely a two-party race with, across the board with the, with the exception of a couple races. I think Calgary Elbow, maybe Edmonton McClung, where Mandel, I think, pro- probably not the front runner, but definitely a contender. Yeah. Um, and Derek's riding. Or oh, yeah, Derek Lila Fildebrandt. Lila riding. Yeah. Um, well, it's a new riding, so it doesn't really belong to either of them yet. Uh, but uh, but I would definitely think that, uh, that Mountain View would be an NDP-leaning riding. I think a lot of David yeah. Swan voters would probably be NDP voters in so, 2019. Right. So but where we'll will see, it I'm break? Not gonna, I'm not going to count David Kahn out. So where will it break? If you're left of center and you have decided Jason Kenney's not your guy, do you just go NDP to stick it in Jason Kenney's eye? Or do you actually look at David Kahn as a pretty reasonable candidate? You've actually been putting out some decent policy this week. Like, yeah. I mean, I guess it depends on the... It's it's really on the ground. You'd have to... I mean, you'd have to see how the, what the liberal what the liberal structure and what their organization is on the ground in, in Calgary Mountain View and how much of that was a liberal organization and how much of it was a David Swan organization. Right. I tend to think that a lot of it was a David Swan organization. He's very personally popular, was a good MLA, yeah. um, you know, earned his victories by working hard as an MLA for, for 15 years. Um, but we'll see. So that takes me to one of the macro themes, which is that you're seeing the governing incumbent party in many ways behaving like a hyper-aggressive, plucky opposition party, which is really attacking and taking down the front runner and pointing out all these things. And you're seeing the main opposition party. Now, I'm not claiming that both parties don't throw elbows. Of course they do. But you've seen the main opposition party, the UCP, rolling out quite a bit more policy in the first week than I would have thought. Now, I know it's not the type of policy that will catch your ear because you're not the target market, but I made a note of all the stuff they've rolled out this week. It's actually been a lot. And so this whole idea of the NDP was well-researched, ready to take down their opponents, and their focus on Jason Kenney personally has been an interesting theme for me in week one. I wonder if they're going to keep it going in weeks two, three, and four. Like, how long can you run on the contrast. Now, I'm the last person to say negative ads are invalid or they don't work. Of course they do. But you also have to, you can't live on like cookies or icing. Like you have to provide some meat or some protein at some point. So um, do you think they're just going to keep this up the whole time? Or do you think they're going to change their tack and actually roll out some more 
um, policy or specifics. Now, they have ruled out a bit. I'm not suggesting they haven't ruled out at all. But I, I think it's fair to say they've been most... They've been very strongly focusing on Jason Kenney. Oh, yeah, absolutely. The first week, for I mean, for the NDP campaign was really, really going after Jason Kenney very hard. They they rolled out this, the 10-minute documentary-like film about his time in San Francisco in the 1980s, about some of the stuff, his work with AIDS, HIV AIDS patients at a, at a Catholic hospice in San Francisco and the work he did with pro-life groups in in terms of re- repealing gay rights laws and in in San Francisco, which one of the points were that by repealing that the the gay couple rights in San Francisco, it allowed the hospice to basically stop partners of the AIDS victims from visiting them at the hospice. Um, I mean, I think that I mean, the NDP rolled out their one, rolled out their video, which is incredibly heart wrenching for anybody who anybody who has a chance to watch it. And I mean, I encourage people to to watch it. Um, it starts out with a, with a clip of Kenny from the year two thousand boasting about the, this this work that he did um, in in San Francisco in the nineteen eighties. So this was, I mean, it's something that he did in the eighties when he was in early his his twenties. Later on. And then there's the the, the the video the documentary starts with the video of him in his 30s talking to an, a group of Canadian Alliance members, um, boasting about his work. Um, and at the same time that the NDP released this, the the sprawl, which is a kind of a pop up um, journalistic investigative journalism effort um, uh, out of Calgary, which I encourage people to look at. It's a great a great website. They're doing really good work. They sent a reporter, investigative reporter, down to San Francisco to actually do some real investigative work, not not a not a, not partisan work, but investigative investigative work, and talk to people down in San Francisco about it. And the one the one I guess excerpt from the the Young Zealot, which is what the the that series is called, that really got me. Um, and I'll read it here because I th- I thought it was it was it was quite on point. Um, it's it's entirely normal and healthy for people's views to evolve over time. The question isn't whether 32-year-old Kenny in the second video is the same as the 50-year-old Kenny running for office. It's how he went from bragging about helping prevent gay men from visiting their dying partners to boasting about volunteering in a San Francisco hospice for AIDS patients. And I think that's a re- that, that that is kind of a really interesting question because Kenny has said that, you know, his attitudes have changed. And I mean, a lot of people's attitudes have changed over the past 30, you know, 30 years. But the 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 fact that he could go from bragging about it, not that he did it, I mean, that, that he did it in, in to begin with, but the fact that he could go after, you know, tw- 10 years after that from bragging about it and boasting about it to then talking about it in a totally different context. I think that's where, I mean, from where the NDP are coming. Uh, and I mean, I'm having a hard time talking about this because it's if you watch the video, it's really emotionally charged um, and it's really, really difficult to watch. But I mean, the NDP are really trying to make this this the first week of the campaign and the main narrative of the campaign about a, a question of character, a question of leadership and integrity. Um, and I think this is really hard hitting stuff, both from the NDP campaign and from the sprawl, which was a, which was its own separate initiative. Um, and I'm I'm really interested to see whether how this impacts how, how how Albertans are thinking, whether this is actually getting out there and whether people are actually watching this kind of stuff. That um, was going to be my question. How We've talked about the leaders' numbers, both main leaders, um, and the relative, you know, the net positive, net negative. I wonder how much undefined, how much movement space there is with Jason and how much of this is sort of known information. Like the... The capitalist expression is it's built into the stock price. So you, you, I wonder um, how many people haven't given Jason Kenney a lot of thought already. He maybe knew in 2016 to provincial politics, but he had a long record in parliament. He was elected. He was a senior cabinet minister. Like he was a known quantity, and he remains a known quantity. Now the the punch of that video, of course, that is new, and the idea, you know, the actual specific situation that you talked about but I wonder and I don't know how soft or how um, I guess sticky his leadership approval numbers are because if they're going to keep now maybe they think they're soft we've we've talked mm-hmm. and argued about this before that their best strategy is probably to take his numbers down um, it'll be interesting to watch if these rolling polls show what's happening 
to his approvals. Mm-hmm. My thesis is that there's not a lot of room to move. That people who don't like him already don't like him. And people who, no one, very few people are going to change their vote now because of this information. That's just my thesis. Like, if you go and talk to the people who are the most motivated by this story, and I guess this sounds crass, but we're talking about the horse race, how many of them were going to vote for Jason anyway? And of those who are sticking with him, how many of them have changed? Like, how many has he lost? And I'm not sure. I guess we'll see. I think people's minds have been made up about Rachel Notley. They now, she's fairly credible. She's fairly likable. That's not going to change. So even when people are against the NDP, it has, in a way, this election's throwing everything on its tails up. People have kind of made up their minds about the leaders, I think. And now they're talking about, you know, the bigger picture. So anyway, um, it'll be interesting to watch because these attacks were, it was a pretty rough week. If you're managing Jason Kenney's net approvals, Mm -hmm. I mean, there's no denying that. If they're going to continue running on this stuff, how much more is out there? Or how much more can they get out of it? Because even that video was known. Like it wasn't, it may be the first time people have brought this kind of attention to it, but it was a known, it was an item of public record. Yeah, I mean, I think it was known probably in political circles. I mean, if you're if you're paying attention to, to Alberta politics and to Canadian politics, I mean, it's pretty clear that Jason Kenney is a social conservative with some pretty strong social conservative views. And I mean, he doesn't talk a lot about that nowadays, um, but... Uh, I think that for a lot of Albertans, I would suspect that this is probably the first time that they've heard. I don't know. His opponents have been using, and I don't want to talk about, I'm not defending this video. This video is, is, is different, but his opponents have been, if you go back to the PC race, um, there was a whole coalition of stop Jason Kenney. He's too right wing. He's too socially conservative. That was the whole Stephen Kahn, Richard Starkey, whoever else was running thing like he has survived attacks like this before and the other thing too is like a lot of people have it in their head that as a federal politician he just got up every day and opposed uh, minority rights he didn't if like there's very few votes the when the cpc came into government in early 2006 they did revisit same-sex marriage because they made a campaign pledge to but they didn't vote it down some of the caucus got it off their chest that they could vote against the acceptance of same-sex marriage, and then it never came up again. The Harper Conservative Caucus very famously didn't change the legislation on abortion. So he has a voting record of being in Parliament for, oh, 20 years, and there aren't a ton, especially in the later years, there aren't a ton of examples of him trying to take away anyone's rights. So More just stopping people from getting rights. There's not a That's lot of evidence that. for it, though, right? Like, well, I, I mean, b- basically, I mean, everything he said on on about same-sex marriage during the early 2000s, I mean, up until the mid-2000s. But if the fear is, what is he going to do with power? We ha- we know what he's going to do with power. He's not going to touch those things. So anyway, the problem with these issues is it's not theory. It's very concrete. I mean, even just around our table, it's very concrete. So, you know, I, I want to be sensitive to that. And yeah, it's it wasn't a great week for this stuff. Um, we'll see if the NDP continues to just fire the howitzer right at Jason Kenney in these issues to try to move the trustworthiness numbers. But um, I don't know if they can sustain it for four weeks without some new information. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, I don't know. I think that, you know, they either have more prepared. Um, I mean, I think they'll get another week. I mean, they get another week out of this, out of the video, really. Um, have we seen any numbers moving? I mean, I have the poll tracker. The CBC poll tracker up, but they haven't updated it since the twenty second. So that's uh, I'm not sure. I'm not sure if numbers. I saw I saw a uh, someone tweeting around this morning that the the UCP has dropped below fifty percent according to a rec- a roll one of the rolling polls, um, but still that seems to be within the margin of error at this point. Um, and the seat projection now insert generic caveat about polls. We all know they can go wrong, but yeah, the poll tracker on CBC is a poll of polls, and it also provides a seat projection. And this is the other problem for the NDP is that their support is highly inefficient. It's very in, concentrated in Edmonton. In this riding, yeah. within a kilometer or two of us, everyone agrees, NDP, right? It's super highly concentrated. If you go out 
their numbers of maybe 34.8 province wide is not really telling the story because in Edmonton it's probably much higher and everywhere mm. else it's probably much lower. So yep. they have an efficiency. You, you really have to look at the regional breakdown if you want to if you want to understand so how, the, done, how the seat total is going to break could, could yeah. potentially break out. And that's what they've done the seat projection. So currently projecting the NDP to be between 12 and 23, and the UCP between 63 and 75. So we'll see seats. Seats. I'm sorry. Yeah, not percentage. And I know. Believe me, I know polls are not always well, totally trustworthy. When when was the last time the poll a poll in the first week of Alberta's election campaign reflected the results four weeks later? It's been a while. They have also I, got a trend over the last few months of polling averages. And if you look, and we can p- provide the link. Yeah, yeah, we'll put the link up on the website. The UCP has not dipped under fifty percent, except for very briefly. And the NDP has been kind of straddling the 30 to 35 percent. Yeah. Which is a very strong showing. Like, how many yeah. cycles ago did the NDP have two seats? You know, like, oh, yeah. No, no, this, this, is, is this is quite, yeah. I mean, the, the, in, in, in a lot of ways, the mold is broken. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's ironic that in some ways, if the UCP wins, the story is going to be Alberta has had this monumental shift back to the right when really, I mean, if the NDP are close to the 40 percent that they got in the last election, the NDP yeah. could even do better than they did. Right in the last election uh but the ucp could still win so it's not really a monumental shift it's more just the votes working out differently but yeah in terms of the actual population well in the split right the the, the, alberta really hasn't changed too much yeah from from the last election it's just that you're right that there are two there's one one main conservative party going back to the ndp um and uh and whether they can sustain this what their campaign might might look like going ahead in the in the couple weeks I, i think what i'm looking for for the ndp is um, is and you, we're seeing this a bit in some of the targeted online ads that the NDP is releasing a real positive focus on Rachel Notley and I think that's kind of what's missing is they've gone really hard negative on Jason Kenney um, but contrasting providing that kind of positive contrast uh, with uh, with you know of Rachel Notley is, is what I'm looking for and some actual like more um, ambitious policy announcements mm-hmm. I think that's a thing that the for the first week of the campaign I mean, I didn't really see actually from well from either the NDP or the UCP anything incredibly ambitious or groundbreaking in terms of policy. The UCP kind of regurgitated, you know, a lot of anti-Ottawa sentiment that we've heard before from the CPC, that we've heard before from the Wild Rose Party. You know, they're going to demand that Ottawa give Alberta certain responsibilities. They're going to fight these kind of, you know, conspiracy theory laden foreign interests that are the reason why we can't build pipelines, apparently, which is not true. Um, there's, uh, I mean, you just have to ask the Federal Court of Appeal. Uh, the, it, I, I'm looking for something that's actually like, instead of, instead of just getting into, getting into fights with Ottawa and getting into fights with British Columbia and getting into fights with First Nations, mm-hmm. what exactly is the UCP government going to do? And I mean, they released a bunch of policy before the election, but like, now it's now is the time to start like actually telling us what your plan is and the same with the ndp i mean rachel notley announced you know 2000 more long-term care beds that's great um there was a petrochemical announcement okay um but you know what exactly are you are you planning to do and so i'm looking for more of an ambitious plan coming in the next couple weeks you want to say something yeah um i've just been like sitting and thinking about i i the whole thing with um, Jason Kenney talking about the spousal rights um, um, that he campaigned to have taken away in uh, San Francisco felt very personal to see that video and to see him feeling so proud about that. Um, but uh, so maybe so personal that I, I don't really know that I want to say anything about that. But uh, it, what you were talking about, about um, as a uh, MP in Ottawa and his relationship to queer rights recognition and him not actively advocating to have people's rights taken away. Um, I I genuinely don't remember. Did he vote for or against the recognition of uh, trans rights when that bill was going through Parliament? I I honestly don't know. I'd have to check. It was like 2014, I think. It was pretty late. It came up three times, um, and it died on the order paper twice. Um, Yeah, you know, we'll have to look that up. I remember it being discussed. Um, you know, I've I don't always pay as much attention to things that don't affect myself. You know, I admit, and so I'm not sure. But we will check and get back. But you know, the important thing here is this: it's, there's no such thing as an abstract issue with this stuff, and it's people's identity and it's it's who people are, which I, I admit is a bit of a journey for me. 
Like I, if you had asked me in 2004 which way I would vote on marriage recognition, my vote would have changed now too. So um, he put out a statement which I thought was thoughtful. It is never going to be enough to make up for, you know, to, to turn some people into supporters. Um, I think the human side of it is what is upsetting. And I don't blame you for being upset. And I'm not even saying you are upset, but if you were, I wouldn't blame you. And yeah, we will we will see. I I, I will say that I I know confidence with confidence that the people I know in the party are not looking to roll back anyone's rights. That 2019, the election from the UCP's point of view is about the economy, and that's not just a talking point. They you know they don't want to talk about this stuff either because it's not something that Albertans want to revisit. And so. I have many friends who are genuinely worried about Jason Kenney, and I appreciate that. But all I say is the guy I know today doesn't want to roll this stuff back. So I guess we shall see. I mean, politicians can say a lot of things. And, and you know, um, you're accountable for the words and for the things that you do. Like, I don't, I'm not suggesting that running that video was an invalid tactic. Of course it was. We would do the same. In fact, this week they rolled out some video of Darren Billis talking about slowing down the oil sands or something in 2008 is like, this is the problem with running for politics in the, in this era, all these millennials and generation Z's have lived online. There's going to be a video about everything. Mm-hmm. Um, unless you're Trump, in which case there is a, twi- a tweet. And about it just everything. doesn't matter. <laughs> it doesn't matter at all. But yeah, no, I think that's in a way it's a new, new, a new, a new reality. Um, and, and something that, I mean, I wonder if it'll reach, will reach the point where, you know, it's everybody's going to have some. I mean, really, I think we've reached the point where everybody has something embarrassing that they said online at some point, and eventually, yeah. it's just going to be the uh, like the marijuana question of thirty years ago. You know, <laughs> you know, now marijuana is legal, so who cares? But uh, meeting people of other sexual identities was a ch- game changer for me. I mean, I admit it, I didn't know a lot of diverse people, and so part of I think going to university, becoming an adult, becoming your own free thinking person hopefully is that you you meet people from different walks of life and you realize what we have in common what we have against i would never support picking on people's identities like i and i i have made it clear internally and externally and there's a lot of conservatives who are past that in 2016 the federal party took out traditional definition of marriage from our policy platform and jason kenny supported it most people did um so anyway I don't want to dismiss this issue. I don't want to just, I guess, um, dishonor it at all. But we will see what happens in the next week. I did want to just mention, though, Dave, I actually disagree a little bit. The UCP policies have been very detailed. And my understanding is there's a lot more coming. So one of the things about me is I have have, um, the opinion that we should just take it, play it safe right now. And the UCP, which I have no formal role in, I say we, but I use it loosely. Mm-hmm. If I was running things, I would probably run very much a front runner campaign. I would shut down any risk and I would shut down any exposure and potential for, for accidents because we have a lead. But I'm told that's the opposite of what we're about to do. I'm told that there are very detailed written policy things coming out and they're going to continue to come out not all of them will resonate with every voter but you know the fight back plan they did two days of it they rolled out on day one a 12-point plan to take to fight back against foreign interests and the second day was a fair deal for alberta with a nine-point plan so i think if anything the ucp is going to continue to roll out lots and lots of policy which as a political tactician makes me nervous because you're giving an opportunity for contrast but I guess Jason Kenney's gotten to the point where he doesn't want to just sit on a front runner lead. So here we go. It'll be interesting. And, you know, I think, too, we should mention that the Alberta Party has been mixing it up and getting some attention. Yes, they have. So I I, I, I think they actually had a pretty good they did. first week. To the the fluoride thing, especially. Yeah, yeah. So Stephen Mandel spent most of the week in Edmonton, but then he went down to Calgary and announced... Like a, kick the hornet's nest. Yeah, he went down to Calgary where where apparently, and I don't understand why this is still an issue, but fluoride in water is still like a big controversial issue in Calgary. And he announced that he would they would 
put fluoride back in the water in Calgary. Yeah, which, which is controversial in Calgary. Yeah, and the former mayor of Edmonton traveling down to Calgary yeah, and, yeah, like wrong. you said, kicking the hornet's nest. It's I think it's actually pretty provocative. I mean, it's a funny issue because it's like, I don't know why it's a controversial issue, but Him, in the context in the of vaccinations, Calgary. Yeah. He's kind of showing a bit of a uh, strongman streak here where he knows best and he's going to implement that with the full weight of the law you yeah know, i happen well, to agree on both of these issues and they're getting a lot of i think they're getting a lot of positive press over it too and and they're getting positive prob- or just well, any press is any press but um but they're but they're getting like I, I know like on their child care announcement earlier this week like they're getting equal almost an equal amount of press as the two other main parties which is which great. i think is for the alberta party is like that's what they're that's what they want is they want to be seen as even though they may be you look at the polls and they're polling anywhere between four and eight percent. Right. Um, they have a full slate of candidates. And, and I think it's one of their goals should be, um, if I were them, is to, to try to look as look like an equal with the other two parties. And especially in starting in the first week of the campaign, that's a pretty good place for them to start. And as just another left wing party opposed to Jason Kenney, I say it's great. Or, or another right wing party splitting the right wing vote for former conservatives. <laughs> one of the things, Dave, that we talked about back in our Google hangout days yeah uh was about lawn signs and oh as yeah I, as i was driving here today i took 137th ave most of the way just to see and you know i they're gaudy and they're tacky and they're bright and everyone loves to hate them but i still defend lawn signs but i want to add a caveat the ones that are interesting the ones that are beautiful to me are the ones on private property uh-huh. because private property ones mean some person has decided to it's a campaign resource to get it here and a voter or a household of voters has chosen to put it out. Mm-hmm. So the ones on the boulevard, you know, whatever. I guess that takes some work too. But those aren't really the ones that tell me anything. Mm-hmm. As I drove through your neighborhood, I saw an awful lot of orange mm-hmm. Janice Irwin signs. You know, yeah. that to me tells me something about this poll. The ones on the boulevard, so the Alberta party, and the one stretch of 137th Ave had their signs like every eight feet. Yeah. And it's like, well, okay. Like you have some really um, enthusiastic volunteer with a truck. But... Do the voters support? So the lawn sign war has just begun, and they're yeah. going up like crazy. Um, yeah, I've heard that Janice Irwin, her campaign has now now has more than a 1,000 private lawns, like 1,000 yeah. signs on, on front lawns across Highlands Norwood, which and is it, pretty impressive. Amazing. I was talking to Cyril Turton in Spruce Grove, Sony Plain, and he has put out 1,000 onto private property. Or they passed 1,000 yeah. to like, private property people. And in some of these campaigns, they don't even have to go do it. People just come by, and they tell them their address and put them up themselves. Wow. Like, it's pretty yeah. amazing. So, yeah, you're, you're, seeing, you're seeing signs. You're seeing ads. You can't escape this election. It's like you can hide, but you can't run because it'll find it'll chase you down anyway. And um, anyway, that was my point about lawn signs. Chris, what do you think about? Are you a lawn sign hater? Are you a lawn sign supporter? From a trash perspective, I don't think they're great. <laughs> but um, I, I agree with you that they do. I think offer the like best metric of how people are roughly feeling in a riding. I think the funny part about them is that. Um, at using them as a metric of how people feel in the writing is that anywhere where people don't have a lawn, like anybody who lives in an apartment building or condo, mm-hmm. they don't really have much real estate to put up a lawn right. sign in. So in denser writings, I don't know how good of a metric they are. Yeah. 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 We see them in the windows or on, sometimes people put them on their, on their balconies. One of the, one of the, the kind of funny lawn stories or lawn sign stories about, uh, um, about apartment buildings that I'll share is back in the, 2013 municipal election when when uh, Don Iveson was running for mayor of Edmonton there was a building like a walk-up apartment building that had a big like a giant Karen Lee Bevici sign on the front lawn in front of it um, but then when you looked at the building there were like three or four windows that had Don Iveson signs in the windows so it seemed very clear that like the landlord mm-hmm. was supporting Lee Bevici but the people who actually lived in the building were voting for Don Iveson which yeah. I thought was a I, I took a photo of that and I should try to find it but I thought it was a great yeah. a really great image of, of showing how those in some ways how those uh, you know lawn signs work in, in those kind of uh, totally. landlord tenant relationships yeah. during during uh, during elections. So what are we watching for this week? We've talked about the races that yep. we're keeping our eye on is there anything else that catches your attention or you're looking forward to guys well one one of the things that i'm looking forward to or I'm, I'm looking for is tomorrow which is might be the day this podcast is put on put online so on monday march 25th the school board trustees 
basically from across the province, I think basically from every public, every public and Catholic school board across the province are having joint, joint dual press conferences in Edmonton and Calgary. Um, raising oh, the issue. Oh, good. Yeah, I'm sure this will be really good for the UCP. Ra- well, well, raising the issue of, of funding for uh, for education, public education across the province. Including now, the, the Catholic trustees? Including the Catholic trustees. So there are, um, there are according to the, the press release that I read, there are 15,000 brand new students who will enter the education system Catholic and public schools next year and the trustees are basically putting all the parties including I mean this isn't and this isn't a uh, supporting one party or opposing one party this is they want to know from every single political party they want commitments for funding for those new for those new students because there's a huge wave of students that are of young kids who are coming into the education system it's a huge issue in the suburbs of Edmonton absolutely absolutely so I'm going to be looking at that and, and the way they framed it is the uh the trustees are going from Edmonton, the, from in Northern Alberta, are going to be having their uh, their press conference outside the Rogers Arena, and in Calgary, they're going to be having it uh, overlooking the Saddle Dome, because there are basically enough enough students coming in next year to fill the seats in the Saddle Dome and our Rogers Place next year to give you a, like a visual idea right. of how many students are coming into the yeah. system. So it's a big issue, yeah. uh, and I'm looking forward to seeing what the trustees have to say and what the parties say in reaction. Absolutely, and and as a parent, I mean, it's a huge issue. Yeah. And, you know, it's one of those issues that comes up at the doors, and it's not a niche issue. Education is a core issue for provincial politics. Yeah, absolutely. Okay, I have a weird niche thing that I'm looking to see this week. Okay. Um, I thought it was really interesting that the UCP became the first party to um, support the creation of the Big Island Woodbend Provincial Park. Yes, thank uh, you yeah. for bringing that up. I agree. Um, I would be really interested to see if the other parties respond by also supporting that because the conservation groups in Edmonton have been supporting the creation of that park yeah. for years. Like I did a documentary about that five years ago. Yeah. Um, I was I was quite surprised and, and pleased to see the UCP um, support that. So yes. I would be interested to see if other parties pick up that challenge. Yeah, it's a, it's a stunning part of the city. And we, you know, we use it. Everyone uses it. So, and I thought it was a great policy too. And it didn't. Yeah, didn't, I'm all for more provincial parks. Bighorn, did, Big <laughs> Island, the whole, the whole, the whole, whole spectrum. So, you know, good for the UCP for that policy. Thanks to our awesome guest producer today, Chris Changian Phillips, for helping us put the show together. Adam, we barely missed you today. And a huge thanks to the Alberta Podcast Network, powered by ATV, for supporting the show. Uh, send us your feedback, and, and you'll notice we didn't get to the mailbag this week, but we're hoping to get to it next week. Uh, so send us your feedback or any any questions you have uh, for our next episode. You can get us on Twitter at, at DaveBerta on the DaveBerta Facebook page, or you can email us at podcast at DaveBerta.ca. Thanks for listening, and remember, as they say, vote early, vote often. <laughs>